do love you. We love you with all of our hearts. We're here to tell you that you are Lord. You're our Lord. I hope everyone here has invited you into their heart. If they don't, if they didn't, I pray that they might. Even for those over the internet right now, Lord, that they too, if they didn't invite you into their heart, as you were knocking on their door all the days of their lives, Lord, if they didn't invite you in, I pray that today is the day. Whether it be over the internet or in this church, I pray today is the day that they invite you in and ask you to save them. And Lord, you will receive the glory. None of us in this church, none of us in the world deserve glory. It's you that deserves glory because you sent your beloved son. You so loved the world that you sent your beloved son that whoever, whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. No matter what nationality they are, no matter what color they are, red, yellow, black, white, purple, green, Lord God, you love them. I tell you, pray today is the day that they receive your gift of eternal life which is in your Son, Jesus Christ, who redeemed us from the dead and paid the penalty for our sin by shedding his blood. And since you are righteous, Lord, and there is no uncleanness in you and no sin, death had no dominion over you. And we thank you, Lord, for loving us that much to come to this world that's full of dirt, filth, sin, judgment, and redeeming the lost. That one lost sheep out of, the, out of the hundred. You came and got me, and I thank you. I pray that you come and get a few other lost sheep today, whether they be over the Internet, listening down the road to our, our tape, or right here in this church today. To you be the glory for it all. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen and amen. God bless you, everybody. For those of you here, you may be seated. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. For those online, welcome. I'm Pastor Joe. This is Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches. If you're online, whether you hit there by accident or whether you just tuned in, our website is freedomchurchpb.org. PB stands for Palm Beach. We're in Florida. So if you're local, come on by. We're a small family church. We believe in the full gospel of Christ, and that's what we preach. Um, our address is 2810 High Paluxo Road. So if you're, if you're local, come on by every Sunday at 10 a.m., or you can go on air if you're out of state and tune in to freedomchurchpb.org. Uh, for those men that are local, I want to remind you, we have a men's Bible study here every Saturday morning at 9 a.m., and it's a good study, and a lot of guys hang around and, and just fellowship until noon sometimes, but the Bible study is about an hour and a half, so, um, you know, if you're local men over there, come on by, 2810 High Paluxo Road, it's easy to get to, hop on I-95, go down or up to Lantana Road, and, and uh, or not Lantana Road, but High Paluxo Road, go west a quarter mile. And we're on the north side of the road. You can't miss us. Hopefully, you can't miss us. Um, 
Listen, for those online, you can find out what where our beliefs are. You can find out our address. You can see our list of ministries. You can watch past services, and you can even donate online. For those of you who want to give that are here, we don't take an offering. There's boxes in the back. Uh, so um, you're free to um, you know, give unto the Lord with a joyful heart. It's up to you. So um, we're going to hop into our Bible study now. If you want to turn your Bibles, there's Bibles in the seats. I want to welcome the visitors here today. Thanks for coming. Um, um, let's see. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We're gonna, we've been in Matthew chapter, Matthew's gospel for, for months. But I'm going to, we're, right now we're, we're into chapter 20, but I'm going to bounce back to chapter 5. Because it just seems to me that the Holy Spirit wants to do a work you know, here with the church that, that hears this message. I'm going to take the Beatitudes of Jesus, and that's Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to take the Beatitudes, and I'm going to divide it up into, into several points. Number one, I want, to, I want to give you what does that Beatitude mean. So I'm going to give you the meaning of the Beatitude. And I'm going to say, what does that Beatitude promise? Not only are you going to get what you know, the beatitude itself, but the meaning of the beatitude and the promise connected to the beatitude. And then we're going to look into some spiritual examples about that in the scriptures that we see, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament. And also we're going to point out the application, how we can apply it into our life, how we can apply this parable, these parables, I should say, into our lives. You know, there's actually eight, basically nine, because the last eight and nine are kind of together, but not together. I'm going to divide those two up, too, so you can see it uh, pretty clearly. And I'm going to use the new uh, King James Version here of your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, you know there's some under the seats. It should be there for you. The Beatitudes, let me read them to you first, Okay. I'm going to start at verse 1 of chapter 5 of Matthew, just so you can get the picture where Jesus is at. Um, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And seeing the multitudes, he went up to, on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and then he opened his mouth and he taught them. And this is what he said, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. These are groups of people. There's those that are poor. There's those that are brokenhearted, or those that are mourned and are brokenhearted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely, for they for my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. 
for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then he goes into, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Beautiful picture. Let me tell you something. The Beatitudes, like the Ten Commandments, or the, 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 well, the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament, the, the Ten Commandments are the cornerstone of Hebrew development and culture, and not only Hebrew, but Christian. The Sermon on the Mount is the foundation of morality and ethics to this entire world. Practically every culture knows about Jesus. Some refuse to learn more about him. Some people know his name, but you know, we're gonna see you're gonna see, you know, his words are actually the words of God. Himself. He is the Word of God, as John the, ba- John the Apostle tells us in verse 1 of his, cha- of his book, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word of God, and the Word was with us, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He was in the world, and the world didn't even know him. Listen, Jesus is speaking. He starts all these, these uh, beatitudes with the word blessed. There's only two versions that I saw that say happy. And that's the Good News Version and the Young's Literal Translation. It's, he starts out with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Beatitude itself means full of blessing. So if you're a Christian and you abide by the Ten Commandments, which is the foundation of morality and ethics to the world today, then you are full of blessing. You are full of blessing. You are blessed. The, these beatitudes are actually countercultural. You know how you know the Bible says you must be born again. Well, you know you must go in a bow face and be born again. Jesus says they go against the grain of this world. You know what people like to do with those that are poor and poor in spirit? They like to trample them under their feet. Jesus is going against them. He says you are blessed if you are you know are, are poor in spirit. His thinking is really revolutionary, not a revolt. See, that's what the Jews thought Jesus was going to do. He was going to come with a sword in his hand, a white stallion, and he was going to raise up an army, and the army was going to defeat the, the, the entire Roman uh, the government that took over the world at this time. He was not starting a revolt. He was starting a spiritual revolution. That's what he was doing a spiritual revolution because man need to be have a new basic of life. They twisted everything all up. Jesus was showing to us today, Christians, what a disciple is to be like and who they are supposed to minister to, these different groups of people. Blessed Nine times in this chapter alone. Poor in spirit. You may, you may, um, hopefully you understand that not only is this talking about those that are poor, poor, that don't have any money or they, you know, they, they have a hard time meeting, meeting their bills or they're even poor and on the street. Jesus is, is really talking about those who 
recognize their need for Him, for God. He's telling you that those who recognize their need for God as their Savior are the ones that the poor in spirit. You're poor in spirit. You're poor in spirit because, because he's talking about those that are hungry for and, and referring to his, their spiritual condition. These people that are poor in spirit, he's telling you, are, are, are refers to ones whose spiritual condition. They realize that they're powerless to save themselves. The poor in spirit. They're powerless. They're helpless. They're even undeserving. Those who cry out is, is the best way I can say it. Those that cry out for a Savior. If you're poor in spirit, you're going to know that you need a Savior. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell them here. It does not sound like they're blessed, but they are blessed. The poor in spirit. They recognize their need for God. And what's the promise behind that? Those of you who recognize the need for God in your life, whether you received Him or not, if you haven't received Him, you need to. If you haven't received them, you, you know, you need to. Again, if you have received them, yours, the promise here is, yours is the kingdom of heaven. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because you were poor in spirit and realized that you were powerless to save yourself, because we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God, don't we? We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And the penalty, the wage of your sin is death, eternal death. We're all going to die. We're sinners. The flesh got to perish, and then we'll be be a spirit people until Jesus comes back. That's a whole other subject. But yours is the kingdom of heaven. Do you realize if you are, were poor in spirit at one time, you received Christ as your Savior because you recognized that you were powerless to save yourself and you cried out to him, the promise is that yours is the kingdom of heaven. You are going to heaven. That's comforting, isn't it? John says in his epistle, he says, These things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. No, you know it. K-N-O-W, not N-O. K-N-O-W. These things are written, the Bible is written, that you might know that you have eternal life. And this life is in his Son. And God's Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's just the way it is. Eternal life we're talking about. You don't have the kingdom of heaven. But those of us that have accepted Jesus as our Savior, we have the kingdom of heaven. We are going to the kingdom of heaven. That's something to rejoice about, isn't it? That means you're full of blessing because you you were poor in spirit, received Christ as your Savior, recognizing your need for a Savior because you're a sinner. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Praise God. That's the promise connected with this first part of the Beatitudes. Let me give you some examples. Elizabeth in the Bible. You remember she was uh, Mary 
mother Mary. This was her cousin, Elizabeth. She's the one who bore John the Baptist in her old age. Here's what she said to Mary when Mary came to visit her because she was pregnant without a husband. Remember, she was impregnated by the Holy Spirit who overshadowed her. She did not know a man. Therefore, she was a virgin. She did not know a man. We're going to get to Mary next. But Elizabeth, this is what Elizabeth said, because an angel appeared to Elizabeth and told her in her old days she's going to bear a son. And he's not going to, no, nothing's going to cut his hair. He's not going to, he's not going to drink any, no wine is going to touch his lips. Here's what she said. So she knew what was going on with Mary. We just came through Christmas. Elizabeth, this is what she says. How is it that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Whoa. Whoa. She said, how is it that the mother of my Lord, L-O-R-D, would come to me? She already recognized who, she who Mary was carrying in her womb. Then she goes on, and she says, For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ear, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Ooh, do you know God like that? When you hear his name, Jesus, do you leap for joy? Or do you want to run and hide to the other direction? The baby even knew. Well, listen, this goes against, uh, um, what can I say? Um, abortion. The baby in her womb leaped for joy. That tells you it has emotions. It has knowledge. Therefore, you can use that against any abortionist out there that wants to take the life of a baby. It's written in the scriptures, Psalm, you are created in God's, you know, God, in your mother's womb. God created you. You can find that in Luke chapter 1, verse 43 through 45. And then Mary's at this picture, too. If you go to Luke chapter 1, verse 46, here's what Mary said. And my soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. See, Mary knows who's in her womb. John the Baptist, who was in the womb, it hasn't even been named yet, but he will have a name because Zechariah was told by the angel what he's going to name that child. His name's going to be John. That baby leaped in the womb. And here's the application to this parable. Let me go through it real quick. James, chapter 2, verse 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith? Listen, if you're poor in spirit and you recognize that you needed a Savior and you were powerless to save yourself, 
you are being told by God through the Apostle James that you, you're being poor in spirit, are rich in faith. Without faith, you know, according to Hebrews, you know, without faith it is impossible to please God. So listen, if you've done this, if you were poor in spirit, recognized your need for salvation through, through God, and He's your Savior, then you are rich in faith. You are rich in faith. And you are an heir of the kingdom which He has promised them that love Him. Them that love him. You've got a promise. Not only is it said by Jesus, James the Apostle is backing it up with his word, which is the word of God, of course. You are rich in faith. And if you're rich in faith, Jesus said, believe in God. If you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you prayed will happen, God will do it for you. We just went through a, a message not too long ago, a couple months ago, about the storms of life. I think I spent about three weeks on that. The storms of life. I don't care what storm you are in. God will get you through because you who are poor in spirit and know Christ as your Savior, He will do it for you because you are rich in faith. What did He tell the woman that was with the issue of blood? When she just, you know, she drove through the crowd being unclean, unclean. She should have been crying out, unclean, unclean, but she didn't. It isn't said so anyhow. But she barreled her way through the crowd just to touch his, the tassel on his garment. She had enough faith to move a mountain in her life that she was having struggled with for 12 years. And Jesus felt the t power go out of him. Not because there was power in that tassel. Don't be tricked by a preacher that might sell you a tassel and say, yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. Don't. The tassel had nothing to do with it. It was her faith that, had, that, that caused, her heal, caused her healing. Jesus recognized just because of touching the tassel on her garment, he recognized that power went out of him. And he turned around. Who touched me? And the crowds are full of people. And they're pressing in against him. There must have been, who knows, 50 people touched him. But none of them had faith like her. She went and touched that tassel. It wasn't, the tassel was powerless. It's her faith that healed her. And if you're poor in spirit, you've reached Christ as your Savior because you recognized your need for a Savior because you're a sinner, then you're rich in faith. And you can move mountains with that faith. You can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. That's what the Scriptures say. You have to believe it. That's called faith. It's called faith. And not only that, James is backing up you know, that yours is the kingdom of heaven. You know, I tell you all the time, you, you discern, you, um, you interpret Scripture by Scripture. So Jesus in Matthew 5 is, telling, is being backed up by James in his little epistle in 2.5 of his little epistle. That's amazing. So that's, that's parable number one. 
You know, not only are we talking about poor people, we're talking about people really that are poor in spirit. Jesus said this in John chapter 6 and verse 63. He said, he said, my words are spirit and they are truth. And he said that to the disciples because they just had the Passover. And Jesus said, unless you drink my, unless you eat my body with this bread, this bread, and if you drink my blood, you have no, no place with me. And they got up, they went up to Jesus and said, Jesus, what are you talking about? How are we going to eat your flesh? Really, how could you do that? How are we going to drink your blood? They, they were confused. And what Jesus said to them, 10 verses later, because that was John 6, 53. Then John 6, 63, Jesus explains the parable because the, the apostles asked him. And he says, they said, we don't understand this. How can we eat your flesh and drink your blood? And Jesus said to them, my words are spirit and they're truth. Jesus was talking spiritually. See, Jesus is going against the grain. The Jews of that time, most of them were unspiritual. They were all wrapped up into legalism and religion. And they missed the Messiah of Israel who was to come. Because they were all wrapped up in, in that. It's the poor of this world. I pray that you were all poor in spirit, and even those over the internet, that you are all poor in spirit to recognize your need for a Savior. Yeah, and I'm capitalizing on this. I must have said it at least five, six times because it's important. Because if you have not become poor in spirit and recognized your need for a Savior and received the Savior, Jesus Christ, then you aren't given the promise here, which is, you know, that that yours is the kingdom of heaven. You don't have the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' words are spiritual, and that's what this is. When he's talking to poor in spirit, he's talking spiritually. Didn't he say poor in what? Spirit. Beatitude number two. Blessed are they that mourn. You know what? Uh, Jesus is across the grain again. Here's what Jesus is really saying. You know, it's really, I don't believe he's really talking about those that mourn over the death, like the widow, the widow of Nain who was, was mourning over the death of her son. And Jesus healed him and raised him up from the dead. You remember that? You know what? I believe this beatitude says, Blessed are they that mourn over their sin. Sound like something Jesus would say? Of course. Blessed are you when you mourn over your sin, especially if you're a Christian and know you're a Christian, and then you fall into some kind of sin, and the Holy Spirit does not condemn you. He convicts you. And you say, oh, man, I shouldn't have got drunk the other night, or I shouldn't have did that, you know, that took that drug the other day, or I shouldn't have slept with that woman over there or that guy over there. You know, and you're mourning over your sin. I look back at the sin in my life before I met Jesus, and I go, who was that guy? I'm glad he's not here anymore. I'm glad he's gone. And one day, God spoke to me, and I began to mourn over my sin. I was absolutely wrong. 
and my life changed. I became poor in spirit. It was no longer about me. And then I received Christ as my Savior, and my whole life changed since then. It's like I died, and a new person is living. And isn't that what the Scriptures say? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, and all things become new. Praise God. I'm glad I became new 43 years ago. Praise God. I mourned over my sin. I decided I'm not going to do that anymore. The drugs are out. The cigarettes are out. The alcohol to drunkenness is out. The drugs are out. Everything's out. The cussing's out. I'm not taking the Lord's name in vain ever again. The meaning is of this parable is Jesus is speaking of mourning to repentance. Mourning to repentance. Let me read you a scripture here. This is 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul wrote it, chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. Now I rejoice. This is Paul talking, but he's really talking about God. About God. Listen, I know in this book, you if you have a, a good bi- a, a Bible that has the words of Jesus in red, those are the words of Christ. And everybody thinks that they are more important than the rest of the scriptures that are in black. That's not true. The black words are from God also. The black words are the word of God because Jesus is the word of God. So every time you see a black ink, you know, it's the word of God and Jesus is speaking. If you see red ink, it's, it's, it's still Jesus speaking. Well, here's Paul talking and telling you about Jesus and it's in black. Now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer, might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. That's a formula there. Do you realize that? Sorrow, godly sorrow, leads to, to uh, repentance, and repentance leads to what? Salvation. Godly sorrow produces repentance, and repentance gives you e- salvation, which is eternal life. Important verse. You know, what was the difference between Judas and and uh, Peter. Judas betrayed Jesus for, for 30 pieces of silver, which was a going wage or going going payment for a slave. And Judas was sorry. He was really sorry. He went back to the Sanhedrin. He threw the 30 pieces of silver in front of their face. And they said, we don't want any part of it. That's blood money. Yeah, they took the blood money and Judas ran out, left the money, and they put a potter's field out there for people that could be buried. They weren't going to touch that money. That was blood money. But yeah, they were the ones that that started the blood money. That's unbelievable. A religion and legalism gets you into all kind of stupidity. What was the difference? Judas went out and hung himself. 
Peter denied Jesus three times. Three times. And Peter was sorrowful unto repentance. And because he was, he was received salvation in the kingdom of heaven. Judas was not. He wasn't sorrowful unto repentance. He went out and hung himself. There's a difference. The promise here for those that mourn over their sin is they shall be comforted. Oh, I talked about it already. I am so glad I am not that same person when I was young. 27 years old. I was an up to from up to 27 years old I was a complete idiot. A stupid kid. And boy Jesus changed me and I I I, I, I mourned over my sin and I received Jesus as my savior and the Holy Spirit came into my life and comforted me. He's the comforter as you well know. Jesus said, I have to go away or else the comforter isn't going to come. And that's the Holy Spirit who lives with us today in our hearts. It also means, really, you can take that further by the word comforted. You can be forgiven, healed, and reconciled to God. We were, man was at war with God. I was at war with God before I come, come to the Lord. I fought against him on every stretch of the way. Every time the Ten Commandments came up, you know, when I went away with sin, the Ten Commandments would come up. Oh, you took the Lord's name in vain. Oh, you didn't honor your father and your mother. You know, the Holy Spirit was convicting me, but I didn't uh, repent until I was sorrowful unto repentance. Then I looked at my life from 27 up. I started honoring my mom and dad and my family, my kids. My whole life was changed. The drug, you know what the first thing went in my life? Taking the Lord's name in vain. Oh boy. That bothered me to this day. But that was the first sin I got rid of. I realized who Jesus was. I realized who the Father was. I realized the Holy Spirit was in my life and I had the power to cut that off and I did. taking the Lord's name in vain. The, the, the God that came and took my place on this cross, I took his name in vain. When I'm watching a TV show and I see the captions up there, you know, I usually put, because I can't hear real good, you know, I put up the closed captions, and when I see them taking the Lord's name in vain, I just cringe inside. The promise is you shall be comforted if you're mourning over your sin because your sin is forgiven. You've been reconciled to God and you are going to be comforted and your comfort is going to be in the knowledge that you know that you're going to heaven. Remember, this is the testimony that God has given you eternal life. And you might know that you have eternal life. How do you know you have eternal life? Because you ask Jesus Christ into your heart. Not your head. Not your head. Your heart. God doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. 
So, all these people, even a lot of people that go to big churches, they think they're going to heaven, but they've, they maybe they prayed and asked Jesus into their heart, but they did it with their brain. They didn't really think of it. And I say it last week, I said it the week before, I'll say it again. Billy Graham, come just as you are. Yes, God wants you just as you are. As dirty, as filthy as you could ever be. A murderer, a cheat, a liar, a swearer, a drunkard, an adulterator. You come to the altar, but when you leave this altar, you will be changed if you used your heart. If you used your head, you'll walk out the same person you were when you came in. You need to change. You need to change your heart. Scriptural example. You know King David and what he did. He saw a beautiful woman on the roof of a building taking a bath. And he, he sent for her to find out that he, she was the wife of Uriah, one of his mighty men of valor out fighting. He took her and slept with her, and she became pregnant. And then he had Uriah murdered. Sent him out with a lesson from, from Joab, the general. He sent a note to the general through, through his own hands. And it was told to put him in the front line. Well, when you put somebody in the front line, they're usually wiped out. Do you know that? Especially the, the first ones, the, the bow and arrows are, they're, they're shooting at the front line. Put him in the front line so he dies because Bathsheba was pregnant. And he wasn't going to face his sin. There was no repentance until the prophet came to him and rebuked him, Nathan. And Nathan told him a story, and David pronounced judgment on that man. And Nathan said, you're the man, David. Psalm 51 is his prayer of repentance after he hid from repentance. Psalm 51, verse 1 through 14. Now I'm just going to... I'm just going to hit the high points. Real. I'm going to read the whole passage. Verse 1, be gracious to me, O God. Verse 2, be compassionate. 3, here's three. the number 3 point. Blot out my transgressions. Paul, David was recognizing his sin, asking for forgiveness. Blot it out. Wash it away. Wash me in my, from my iniquity. Cleanse me. From my sin. Listen. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me from my iniquities. Cleanse me from my sin. You know what? That's really three types of sin. Iniquity, transgression, and sin itself. Cleanse me. And then he goes on. Listen. Against you, against you only, Lord, did I sin. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against the whole nation of Israel. He sinned against himself and his, only, and his other wives. And he says, he recognized, I sinned against you only. He recognized that that sin was against God because he first, that's the first place he was, you know, um, to be forgiven from, against God. And then he admits, I did evil. I was brought forth in sin. Purify me. Brought forth in sin. He was speaking of the sin of Adam and Eve. I was born with the original sin of Adam and Eve. That's why I tell everybody, you think you're righteous? 
You may be. You may be able to keep the Ten Commandments. You may be able to keep the other 300 and, uh, 603 of those commandments. But you still have the sin of Adam and Eve. And you need a Savior. And you need to become poor in spirit. Recognizing your need for that Savior. Then you have to receive your Savior. And then you'll know that you have eternal life. Let me say, receive your Savior with all your heart. He said, wash me. Then he goes on, create in me a new heart. And the word he, there, he uses in Hebrew is bara. And bara says, create in me a new heart. It means, it means not just, I, I want a whole new heart. Not, not the one I have now. Tear it out and give me a heart for you that will totally serve you. And that's why, you know, you know the, the son of David is reckoned that David had a great repentance. He was not a good man many times, but he had a repentant heart. And God honored that repentant heart. But he still had to go through the consequences. His own son rised up, rose up against him, Absalom. He had a big family trouble. All the days of his life from that point on. Wash me. Create in me a new heart from. That's what Bara needs. From nothing. Create in me a new heart from nothing. It's the same word that's used when God created the world. Bara. Create from nothing. Cast me not away. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. See, David, the Holy Spirit was active in the Old Testament. He didn't live in us. But gee, David's saying, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from you, O God. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And here's what he's saying. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. He lost his joy. If you're a Christian and you're in sin, you lost your joy. You're not happy with yourself anymore. I know a man, a Christian man, that got himself involved with a woman for years. And he every time he'd go home, he'd cry all the way home. They'd cry all the way home, saying, i got to stop this. Restore the joy of my salvation. My joy's gone. So if you're at that place and all your joy's gone, find out what led you there. What sin is it? It may be something simple like your tongue. It may be something simple like taking the Lord's name in vain. It might be something like you stole a candy bar from the grocery store down the road. But you lose your joy. David's saying, restore my joy too. Give me a willing spirit. In other words, give me, a, give me the power to do this in my spirit. Give me the power to, to overcome my sin. And then he says, 
I will teach sinners. He's going to teach people now because he learned from his mistake. You know what? That's what I see over my years as a pastor. I've seen people come out of adultery. I've seen them come out of demon possession. I've seen them come out of lying and cheating and stealing. I've seen them coming out of alcohol and drugs. And usually they don't stay at this church. You know what they do? They leave. Because they don't want any of this to come out. But you see what David did here? He said, I'm doing all these things. And since I learned all this, I'm going to teach others not to do it. So if you're a married or a divorced person, you know what? You can relate better to that person that's being divorced than, say, a pastor that's never been divorced. David's saying, you, you do this for me and I'll teach others. In other words, I'm going to turn around and go the right direction. I'm going to teach others not to do it. So I say to you, if you've been delivered from drugs, alcohol, you know, adultery or anything else in this church, why do you leave Come back and use it to help other people that are in this place, in this church here. Don't leave your church. Help it. Like David's a perfect example. He was far gone. Did you ever kill anybody? Probably with your mind, you know. Did you ever lie to somebody? Yeah. Did you ever commit adultery? Maybe. David... David's saying, he just went through it. He he did exactly what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation. And then David's telling them, you know, I'm going to teach others, God. I'm going to teach others. Don't. Murder people in cold blood. Or what would it be today? First degree murder probably by him being the one that sent out the note to kill Uriah. And then give me a willing spirit, I'll teach others and deliver me from my, from my blood guiltness. Now he's got calling on deliverance. That's a spiritual example of a person that's mourning over their sin. That's what David did here. See, David's Beatitudes are a lot deeper than you think. And I just pulled out two spiritual things out of these, these first two Beatitudes that maybe you never saw before. You know why? I've read them a hundred times probably, and I've learned a whole lot from this Bible study. I've never heard anybody go as deep as I just went with you on these two, mo- two points. Here's the application. Number one, Jesus, Jesus' blessing, those who Jesus will bless, those, remember, he'll, remember what beatitude means, full of blessing. Jesus will make you full of blessing who recognize their sinfulness and their need again for a Savior. This is what this is about. You know what? Remember, remember that I, I touched on what after chapter, well, after verse 14 says? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus is preparing every disciple to know these things. 
Application number two, not only to recognize their sinfulness and their need for a Savior, but this beatitude, Jesus is, is blessing those who mourn for their sinfulness. Recognizing their need for a Savior and, and mourning for their need uh, for their sinfulness. And if you do have this brokenness, the application also is if you have been broken like this over your sin, you will, it will bring you hope. It will bring you joy. It will bring you healing. It will bring you a good life. It will bring forgiveness from God. And you will have a, a reconciled life. A reconciled life. That's number two, beatitude ended. The meaning, the promise, the example, and the application. Beatitude number three. We're going to be into this message next week too, just so you know. Beatitude number th three. Blessed are the meek. Meek. You know what meek is? People think meek is weak. And I've said it a hundred times from this pulpit. Please don't get, get uh, mad because I do it. And because I'll tell you what, you read the scriptures over and over. You hear the pastor over and over, especially if you've been in the church for a while. You're going to hear him repeat stuff, and that's okay. Because you know how you remember, memorize things? By review, 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 review. Every time you hear it, it's driven into your heart or into your brain, getting you prepared, a seed planted to bring you to salvation. Meek, people think it's weak. And meekness, I tell you all the time, meekness is strength. Under control. It's not like, you know, you must, well, it's a fruit of the Spirit. You have to be self-controlled. You have to have control of yourself. That's what meekness is. You have the power, but you don't use it unless it's necessary. Meek people have control over their desire for, for their own rights, their privileges, and knowing God watches out for them and has our backs. They know it. When you came to Christ, you gave up your will. You should have gave up your will, your rights, and your control. You gave your control to God. You gave your rights. It's no longer about you. It's about Jesus. And you gave up your will to serve the creature rather than the creator. So what's the meaning of, of uh, this? I kind of gave it to you already, strength under control. Now how about Moses in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3? Moses wrote this book of, of, of Numbers. He wrote Genesis, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Lev and, and um Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses penned those books. Here's what he says about himself in chapter 12, verse 3. He says that Moses was very meek above all men on the face of the earth. This is what he's writing about himself. Can you imagine if I walked up to you and I says, I'm meek. You say, look at that. Prod, prod idiot there, you know. Mo God actually can 
what can I say? He actually seconded that by letting it be put in this book. He was saying, yes, Moses is meek. When you think of Moses, do you think meekness? No, you don't think of meekness. You think of a guy that had so much faith, if God said he was going to rain hailstones, he knew it was going to rain hailstones, and he went to where they wouldn't be hitting him. It took 80 years to get Moses to his meekness. At least 80 years. Remember, he was 40 years with Pharaoh. He killed an Egyptian because they were, he was arguing with two Israelites. And that is not humility. Then he ran away and got married and spent 40 more years in the wilderness. So it took at least 80 years for Moses to get meek. God broke him over those years. And you know what? He might have been doing that with you. He might be trying to break you to realize that a place in your life where you need Jesus Christ as your Savior. So Jesus will be your Lord and your Savior. The meek never quit, and they never let go, just like Moses wouldn't. The promise they will inherit the earth. You're going to inherit the earth. You know, the earth is still going to be around at the end of all things. Did you know that? Yours is the kingdom, and you will inherit the earth. You know what? Let me give you a good example of that. The meek of England took a trip across the Atlantic Ocean, ended up in... Who knows, uh, Plymouth Rock, you know, Williamsburg, Virginia, different places on the east. The meek of England were driven by their native land, by religious intolerance, and God had them inherit a whole new continent called, the, the, called America. So God gave them who were meek, driven away by their native land because of their intolerance for Christianity, that they inherited a new continent. I don't know if that don't knock your socks off, it knocks mine off. That's what you're going to happen. That's nothing like what you're going to get. You're going to inherit the whole earth. In that kingdom, the meek will no longer be cruelly taken advantage of they will have their way with the kingdom, and that is coming someday soon, I hope. You know, scriptural example is Jacob. You know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the spiritual forefathers. Genesis 32, 24 through 30, Jacob meets Esau. You know, Esau, he, he took his rough brother's blessing and he Esau was coming to meet him because he's going home after running away for 25 years and he was afraid Esau was going to kill him and wipe out his family and he went and laid down and put a, a uh, and, and he wrestled there when he was asleep with a man and the man Finally, after wrestling all night, the man knocked out his socket 
and dislocated Jacob's hip. And then the man said, he said, let me go. And Jacob said, no, I'm not letting you go unless you bless me. I'm not letting you. I want to be full of blessing. Jacob was a liar, a deceiver, a cheat. I'm not letting you go until you, you bless me. And the, and the man said, why do you want to know my name? In verse 28 of that chapter 32 of Genesis says, For you have striven with God. Jacob asked his name, and Jacob named that place Peniel, which means I have seen God face to face. He knew he was wrestling with a man, but that man was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And Jacob says, I know who you are, and I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. Listen, Christian, don't let go of Jesus. Never let go of Jesus. And he will bless you. And, of course, you know that day changed Jacob's life. No longer was he called Jacob. He was called Israel. And Israel means govern, governed by God. And Jacob means liar, deceiver, stealer. He just, he changed. Jacob actually was born again at this point, if you want to go back into Old Testament. He went from just knowing God to knowing God. You know what I mean? I thought I knew Jesus when I was 22 years old, but I didn't know him like I know him now. I went from knowing about God to knowing him. Here's the application. We're going to end it here. A dad... How, you say, how could, how could Jacob overpower a pre-incarnate appearance of the living God, Jesus Christ, an old appearance of him? How could, how could man, how could Jacob, how could he hold God there, the Son of God, really, this man from heaven, how could he hold him so long? How is it possible? It ha here's the possibility. God had to let him. God had to let him hold him tight. And there's no difference than a dad who's wrestling with his son on the floor. When my son was seven years old and I wrestled on the floor, I pretended sometimes like he beat me. You know why? And that's what God did here. Jacob could not ever overpower God. You could never overpower God unless God lets you. And Jesus led him because he was trying to take Jacob from knowing about God to knowing God. And right there, he named a place. Remember, Peniel, I have seen the face of God. You know what people say when they see the face of God? Woe is me, I am undone, said Isaiah. In other words, and Moses, God even told I think it was Moses, he put in the cleft of the rock. He says, I'll show you my hind parts. 
since that's what you want to see. You want to see me. But if you see me face to face, surely you will die. Well, that's the application. So I think today you probably got a new perspective on the Beatitudes. Because Jesus turned everything, when he was walking this earth, he turned everything from carnal to spiritual. Nicodemus. He said, you must be born again. What do you mean you have to be born? I could enter into my mother's womb. I'd be born again. She said, you must. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. In other words, you were born in the flesh. You need to be born in the spirit. You must be born again. Spiritually. People hate that word, born again. I know people that despise it. Born again. Hey, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Don't blame me. I'm the messenger. He said you must be born again. So if any of you out there over the Internet have never been born again, you may be wrestling with God right now. You may have been doing that for 20 years. It's time to surrender because he's God. Yeah, you can wrestle with him for a while, and he'll let you wrestle with him, but there's going to come a time when that's cut off. And the kingdom of heaven will not be yours. But if you, if you receive him now as your Savior and with all your heart, you will be born again, and you will see the kingdom of heaven. And that's what Jesus said, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Not even from a distance, you won't see it. Not only will you not inherit it, not only will the kingdom of heaven be yours, you won't even see it. It's time to wake up America. It's time to wake up church. It's time to wake up Christians. It's time to wake up and let Jesus come in. And you can do that without my help. You can just bow your knee at your bedside. You could be driving down the road, sitting at a red light, or traveling on I-95, and you can call out to God and say, Lord God, I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin. I turn away from my sin. And I ask you to come into my heart and give me your Holy Spirit, which is going to happen automatically. That I might not, that I might have the strength to serve you all the days of my life. It's as simple as that. And then the Holy Spirit will work with you and He will change you and you will become the person God wants you to be and not the person you want to be. And I'll tell you what, God's way is the better way. God has the better plan and God has the better career for you. Father God, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord, with all of our heart. Bless your words to our hearts and bring us to a complete knowledge and faith in you. And Father, for those that are on the borderline now that might be shaking in their seats over the internet or even here today, if they're shaking in their seats, I'm going to tell you right now, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you, and it's time for you to say yes to Jesus and invite him in. To you, Lord God, be the glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Well, 
Thank you, everybody, for coming. If any of this altar is always open, if you want to come up and talk with me, pray with me, I'll be up front here with you. And for those of you online, you can send me an email, joe at freedomchurchpb.org, joe at freedomchurchpb.org, and I'll, I'll uh, hopefully answer your, your message if you, if you do that. So I love you all, and I'm not just saying that. A preacher loves his people, his sheep, and his sheep know his voice. And the voice that I speak with, as you know, I took all scripture here. You're hearing the words of God from this pulpit. To God be the glory. I love you all, and I mean that with all my heart. Amen and amen. God bless. Tune in next Sunday.